Welcome to The Originals, a podcast dedicated to stories of those who make and do original things. We're here in the studios with Dave Stein, a master woodworker, wouldn't even come close to describing what this man has done in the, in the craft of, of building furniture and such an authentic American craftsman. Uh, we've worked together on a couple of efforts to, to get something done in the television world, building remarkable furniture. Thanks for coming in, Dave. Hey, thanks, Brad. Why don't you just kick us off with you know, like what it is now? You're over in Dow, Illinois. You should yep. just take us right up, and then let's dig into the roots. All right. Well, where I'm at right now, uh, we're back on the family farm where I grew up. My family has about a thousand acres. It's been in the family for four generations. My son and my daughter will be the the fifth generation. It's my mother's side of the family. It's in Dow, Illinois, which is right along the Mississippi River. Uh, very near Grafton or Alton, if anybody knows about this area, and, and pretty close to St. Louis. Um, we just try to build beautiful custom furniture from timber that we harvest ourselves uh, right off of our land, and uh, you know we distribute it all around the country. We, I don't know, we built this business kind of from the ground up, and it's it's been a lot of fun. Well, uh, you you started out, you did the. Small town boy, went to college, became yeah. a lawyer, and now you're back to small town boy again. Yeah, if you want to go the whole way back, yeah, you know, it's a prodigal son situation, I guess. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm the, oldest, I'm the oldest in my generation, and my grandfather was always pounding it into my head. You're the oldest in the, in, in the family. You need to figure out a way to keep this uh, family farm together and not lose it to taxes or family fighting or whatever. And I really took that to heart for a couple of reasons. First of all, I grew up on a dairy farm, and if you've ever milked a cow, you know why I don't. That is a goddamn shit show of a way to make a living. Um, Every morning, every night, twice a day, whether you're live or dead, you milk those fucking cows. It's just the way it is. Um, It's a great way to to learn uh, work ethic uh, and to die young, but I'm telling you, it is a hard way to live. So... I was very fortunate. I was pretty good in school, and my family was always pushing education and schooling. And man, I, I went to uh, college at Penn State, and then I went on from there to law school at George Washington. Go Nittany Lions! There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, then went to George Washington for law school. So fast forward, got out of law school. I only ended up practicing law for about a year. Um, I really didn't like that sort of corporate situation, going to work, putting on a suit, having to be there from, you know, eight to five, whether there was work or not. And all during the time I was in college, in law school, uh, and even working my first job out of law school, I was always building furniture, building, started out doing humidors. Uh, back in the, you know, 90s, you remember Cigar Aficionado. Yeah. Everybody was the big boom cigar. was, it was, was cigars huge. Then. It was so massive. I, yeah, I started building some humidors for people while I was in law school, and yeah. business just kind of took off from there. And by the time that I, I quit my law job and started woodworking full time, um, you know, I had six months worth of orders sitting there waiting to, to go for various things, and, and that's how we got started right in Washington D.C. Yeah, that, that, yeah, just doing stuff with your hands. And I Absolutely. mean, I remember when we first talked, the first interviews that we did, you had a really, really strong and passionate point of view 
about the laying on of hands in in the work that you do that that what that that really means to you well it's true it, it i mean it's 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 physically being connected to the work that you do brad but it's it's also um i guess growing up on that dairy farm i like to go to bed tired you know i like to wake up energized after a good night's sleep and just get to work and just bust it out all day you know drop 30 minutes for lunch but just go 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 the other day I was kind of feeling down I was like I hadn't had a good day at work or whatever and I went out and I dug two giant post holes and set some posts that needed to be set and that turned that day from a shit day into a good day you a lot of my work you just you put your hands on something, you see the result. It's not putting a piece of paper from the right-hand side to the left-hand side of your desk. I'm kind of dating myself now. It's not pushing a piece of paper on your screen right. from the left of <laughs> your desktop right, yeah. to the right of your desk. Right, right. It's like actually doing something. It's taking right. a raw piece of wood and turning it into a piece of furniture. Or in my example earlier, it's taking a shovel and digging a fucking hole. Right. You know? And setting a post. And there it is. And now I'm moving on. <laughs> Problem solved. It's great. It's it's very, very satisfying. I I really enjoy that sort of physical manifestation of the work that I've just done. It makes me happy. It makes me satisfied. You know it's an interesting connection to that. My uh my wife taped 60 Minutes because there's uh an interview with Wem Wenders, who's a director I really love, and he was chosen to shoot a documentary with the Pope. Yeah. And so that we had some behind the scenes stuff that 60 Minutes did. And I just sure. watched it last night. And and the Pope said the same thing. Yeah. He said that we have lost our connection to the land. Yeah. And the work of making the things we need and growing the things we eat. And he believes that that has led to just so much of the disintegration of what's like really in us as human beings, you know what I mean? I do, and I, I think, I did not see that piece, but I, I agree with that 100%. And I think if you look around right now where we are as a society and as a culture, people are really grasping for that. So many of us, we don't oh my, have jobs totally. where, you know, we, we may be super creative at work, but we're not really touching, feeling, manipulating things, and I think we're kind of... We're kind of evolved to do that, you know, and to be in groups and, and make shit happen. I think I think a lot of people get some satisfaction, some degree of satisfaction, in knowing they're not going to be able to build a dining room table for themselves, right? Right. But I bring them right into the process when we build a table. And you're there. You can come to the farm. You can see where the tree was cut down. You can look at the raw slabs. You can see the machinery. You can understand how things work. You can help with every phase of the design. So maybe by supporting a craftsman, by supporting a local butcher or whatever, you can kind of just get your piece of that. And then maybe your thing is something different. You know, maybe your thing is fucking mowing the grass. Maybe that makes you happy. Right. But, you know, I... But you got the story out of the piece. And you got every the time you look at the piece or people sit down at that table to eat... Yeah. You're able to share. Yeah, it sounds like a marketing gimmick sometimes, or something, but it's really not. It's it's people want to be part of the It's a real connection. Deal. Yeah, that's it's what a I real mean. connection. And you know, it's interesting. It's like wood, leather goods, hand uh, handmade clothing. I mean, when we think about the basic stuff, shoe leather. You know, we did this interview with Matt Rannick a while back, and we talked about that. Just yeah. uh, even just on shoe leather, 
these simple things that you know we've had for a long time but the craftsmanship that goes into these things now yeah and the passion that's behind handmade things sure really becomes uh, uh, the storytelling thing for the people that own them I mean that's what they want well they, I think they want to true. share that well you know in in the things if you really have a connection to the makers of your things and to things in your life. First of all, you're not going to just be a consumer throwaway society, right? Mm. You're not going to be part of that. That's you. But the second thing is then things have some sort of meaning to you. You know, if I'm just going to buy a very trendy thing for the cheapest price, it has no meaning to me. Next year I throw it out and I do it again. If I sit down with Dave Stein and we design a table together and he tells me the story of where this tree came from and you know, the slab has been in his shop and he's just been waiting for the right client and it happened to be me. I mean, that, I think that's a way to really connect. You don't buy into that sort of just consume and throw out society. And, you you know, you can develop, it can be part of your life. You know, it can, things can be part of your life that way, whether it's your dishes or your furniture or the things that you eat, that you grow in your own garden, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you really, you're building like time machines really because... It's generational stuff. Sure. I mean, yeah. the tables and, and, and the, even, the, even the, the headboards or coffee tables. But I think particularly, when I think of you, I think of the dining room tables. Yeah. Because that is a such an immense social, many meals, families gather around, how many conversations, problems, loves, lost, whatever, that goes around that <laughs> yeah. table for generations. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's another thing that's maybe missing societally where we don't gather as much around the table as, as maybe we once did. You know, when I was growing up, it was three meals a day around the table. Yeah. And uh, that's where you discussed everything. That's where you learned what it was like to be a man, to be a mm-hmm. woman, to be a husband, to be a father, to be a brother. You know, all these life lessons are passed down at this communal dining experience. We lost a lot of that, but maybe part of getting it back is just, you know, having the table, sitting down, getting around it, and then, like you said, the, these things that I build and so many of these things like you were talking about with the leather goods and stuff, they're just made to last forever. And, you know, it's, it's a thread that can run through a family like the land does through mine. Exactly. You know, generation after generation. And it really does. It does carry through that way. When did you, when did you go from humidor maker right to world class i mean you're more than a craftsman you're an artisan i mean you're at the international furniture show i mean you're you're yeah. what i mean you're you're top of the game so you probably weren't top of the game as a humidor maker oh no no and you know what's funny about about so just a quick aside about being at the top of your game and i and i appreciate that and I, i'm always learning stuff and i i tell people all the time i'm not the best uh craftsman furniture maker that there ever was I'm pretty good. Um, I'm also I'm just I'm, have really been fortunate in being able to be born into a family where I have some of the best materials, just at the tip of my fingers. So yeah. all I have to do is not fuck that up. Right, right. If I can just show up and not fuck up these beautiful materials, I'm I'm fifty percent of the way there. You need that T-shirt. Yeah. Don't fuck. Stay aside. I won't fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. And then. And the other thing is I've just been really fortunate that we've been in a position where we've been able to talk to people and tell our story and people have responded to it and we've been able to sell stuff. Because here's one thing I learned early on. I know this is not a business uh, conversation, but if you're the best woodworker in the world, 
and you're in the middle of the woods and in the middle of nowhere and nobody knows about you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't nobody matter. gives a shit. Maybe you're super happy and that's your deal, but if you're like me and you've got kids and a wife and a family to support, you still have to make money. So right. we've been fortunate that people have responded to our story and I can make furniture that's good enough that people <laughs> like. So we're we're pretty pretty fortunate with that. But how did I go from humidors to Yeah, tables? where did that well, tip where did that tip and you realized you were Whoa, I'm yeah. I'm at a different level now. Well, you know, I, I think I was very fortunate. And I don't know that I've ever sort of said to myself, I'm at a different level. That I just sort of stumble forward, you know, and, and just keep hoping for the best and keep moving. But, um, you know, growing up on that farm, that background, we did everything ourselves, literally. We cut down trees to make barns and houses and fences. We grew our own food. We butcher our own meat. You know, eggs, vegetables, you name it. Everything. You know, we still do a ton of that kind of stuff on the farm. Um, and I think that sort of can-do spirit um, just permeates my life. And so when somebody came to me and said, hey, you know, you built this, this humidor, you think you could build a, a nightstand? Or you think you could build a table? Or you think you could do this? And you know, my business, the foundation of it started out with those little hum- humidors that you know, were basically sort of amalgams of other people's ideas and designs, and I would just crank some stuff out. And then I started getting a small following of designers who came to me and, hey, I have this idea for a cabinet and people, I can't find it. Can you build this for me? Um, so I created a little niche for myself there. And then um, they would come and say, you know, we, we've got all these custom cabinets that were built for this uh, kitchen, but there's a weird space and we need enough. And I would, you know, figure that out and do it. And from that sort of start of, um, you know, just kind of doing stuff for a lot of other people and doing other people's designs, I kind of was able to figure out what I could do, what I like to do. And then I was also very fortunate in that, you know, I picked things up really quickly. Having worked with my hands my whole life, I probably take a piece of wood and I can torture it into any shape you can imagine, right? I can build whatever you want. Or we could find a piece of wood that wants to be what you're looking for and just let it do that, right? Right. Which is, which is the hardest thing to do and I'm, I'm asking a hypothetical question. I'm going to tell you the answer. It's hard. It has been hard for me to let go of that control, right? To to not just torture the wood into what I want it to be, what I'm seeing in my mind, but instead let the wood be what it wants to be. I I really have a hard time sort of narrowing that down into something you can print on a T-shirt. But uh, I think anybody, right? If you have the right skill set and the right set of tools, can can force your ego onto the material and make it be what you want to be. There'll probably always be sort of a tension there though. And maybe it's not a happy design. You know, something's not quite right. Or you can be with the wood, you can work with your client, and you can somehow meet in the middle to to, to make a beautiful functional thing that is what it wants to be and, and it's more honest and it has integrity and I think you live with it better that way you know Michelangelo said that about sculpture when he was you just he, get rid of everything that wasn't supposed to be there well, yeah, it yeah. Was, exactly right it was yeah. like doing the slaves he said they're in there we just have to let them out yeah well and that's really what his his thing was it's it's the, the marble talk to him these guys I mean I can't believe it I would ever be in, in a conversation about Michelangelo, but 
I know exactly what he means. Right. And I couldn't agree more. <laughs> well, that's, and, and, and you hear that. But, yeah. you know, you talked about it yourself through this. The maturity you've learned. The life of yeah. working with it. All of yeah. a sudden it's like, I don't have to prove anything. I'm, I'm wise enough oh now. I can listen to the material and it's going to tell me. Dude, and, on a personal level, on a, psych- a psychological level and all that kind of stuff. You're absolutely right. I don't have to prove anything anymore. Like, yeah. yeah. I just, it, and it's a good place to be in a headspace, you know. And, oh, I'll tell you what's great. And I know it's, again, maybe it's too businessy, but it's a great place to be in, in your career, in your craft, where you can say no to people. Where somebody says, you know, let me throw all this money at you, but I need this X, Y, Z. And I, you know what, man, I, I love money. I'm a big fan. But I just don't think this relationship is going to be where we need it to be. So I'm going to have to pass on this one. And people lose their fucking minds. I know. But it's almost I mean, one of the best ways to get a customer. Well, well, but you know, I, I'd rather be honest at the beginning than have to be upset at the end. And I and trust me, dude. I, have not I, mean, been, I hear you. I, I, I've been in the position before where I've been like, God damn, I need the dough. I'll just do whatever this guy says. And then it's never been a great result, right? It's always, like I was saying about forcing yourself onto the material and mm-hmm. torture there's a tension that never gets released in that sort of relationship, and it, and it comes through in the product, I think. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, and, hey, man, I'm not knocking anybody that has to work for a living and do what they got to do. I, I have done... When we... It, a little possibly off track, but when we first moved back to the farm, man, things were super tight. I used to live in D.C., and people would just beat a path to my door. I didn't know anything about marketing, advertising, putting the word out. I just... I was the guy in the wood shop in the middle of nowhere who was pretty good, but nobody gave a shit because they never heard of me. So, you know, the first couple of years I was back on the farm, you know, we bailed and sold straw. I sold firewood. I uh, cut hedge posts and, and sold them to other farmers just, just to keep things rolling until we figured out the deal with the furniture. So it's not an overnight deal. And, uh, you know, sometimes you got to put in, put in your time and you have to do some of the things maybe you would prefer not to. But all I'm saying is I'm super thankful at this point to have gotten to the point where I can say no if I choose to say no. But that comes from, you know, it's fine. In every single interview we've done, yeah, we get to the point, I mean, you're an entrepreneur and you have your own business. Yeah. Everyone we've talked about has done something original, right? Yeah. And every single person we've talked to, the main theme is work ethic. Oh, man. Yeah. And don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Do what you have to do to keep it going. Yeah. Don't give up. Keep working at it. And and it will... Everyone got there. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone we interviewed got there. Yeah. And they all had trials and tribulations. Yeah. But they didn't give up. But they worked their fucking ass off. Well, I'll tell you what. I Like you said, with maturity, with a little bit of hindsight perspective now, I still get three or four calls a month. Young guys um, call me up. Direct message me on Instagram, you know, that's a huge platform, uh, and say, I, I basically, I just want to be you, right? I want to I do this lifestyle, and, I, and I'm tired of whatever I'm doing, and this is what I want to do. And, you know, the first thing I tell them is, hey, listen, so first of all, social media is not life. Because... <laughs> we all present an image on there that, that we want everybody to see, right? Yeah. So that's the first thing. Like, so don't get too caught up, right? Um, I appreciate that people like what we're doing, 
But so that that's the first thing. So that's that's a movie. Now we can right. talk about real life. And as the second thing is, you, you I, I have no doubt that multiple people could do what I'm doing as well as I'm doing or even better. And people are showing it every day. There's tons of people that I know that have been inspired by my work and other people like me that are out there just kicking it right in the ass every day, right? But I was very fortunate, first of all, to have that really weird informal education in furniture. Also, dude, if you want to do what I do, you better pick your parents very carefully and be born into a fucking family that has a thousand acres of trees. I mean... I thank God every day that I was like, oh my God, I could have been born into a Wall Street family. I'd be like pushing papers, you know? You control your supply chain. Yeah. So <laughs> it's tongue in cheek, but, you know, maybe look at your circumstances. If, if, you're, if you're in downtown St. Louis and you're living in a half bedroom apartment, you might not get to where I am tomorrow, okay? But, right. So that, that's another thing. And then the third thing is, and probably the actual, what should be the first thing is you just have to live, eat, breathe, bleed, smoke and drink this lifestyle, this career, this craft every single day. You know, I can pick up a chisel in my shop right now and I can do ignorant shit with it that you can't believe, right? I couldn't do that 20 years ago. I cut myself to hell and I've done, and I still do, but it's it's stick-to-itiveness, it's work ethic, it's, hey, Dave, man, let's go to the ball game. Sorry, bro. Working. Right. Hey, Dave, your daughter's having a recital. Uh, catch the next one. It, and it's heartbreaking in retrospect, right? Again, I, I, think, I feel like I'm having this um, sort of maturity moment right here with you. But you look back and on some of the things you miss. And, and, I, and I was, I've been very fortunate. My family is super, super supportive. And they all get it. We're all on the same team. But you look back and you've missed some stuff. But we've also built something really incredible. Exactly right. And we'll be back with our interview in just a minute. But if you are or know someone who is truly an original and have interest on being a guest on our show, shoot us a note. Podcast at nocoastoriginals.com. Make sure to check us out on Instagram and follow our feed for pictures of our guests and other stuff we find originally cool. And now we return to our interview on No Coast Originals, The Originals. I, I, I've been very fortunate again. I got out of the law and I think I was maybe on the cusp of this whole people respecting makers kind of thing. When yeah, I you might have hit the seam. You really, yeah, yeah, when I started, you know, my some people in my family, a lot of my friends were like, dude, what are you doing, man? You spent $90,000 for law school and you're going to just fucking toss it? And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm not tossing it. It's not like like you just get rid of that sort of way of thinking and that education you got. It's it's there. Yeah. And, and I'm like, sure it's become useful. Yeah, it, it has been extremely useful. We're just, I'll take a, another quick aside. We're a society that's based on laws. Mm-hmm. And I went to school and studied about law. But here, I'll, get, I'll save everybody $90,000. Here's what you learn in law school. You learn you don't know anything, right? <laughs> Find the guy who knows about the thing that you're pro- that's your problem right now, and let him solve that problem for you, and and then move forward. And then now you now you know a little bit about whatever his area of expertise is. That's what that, that's all I learned in law school. I, I maybe I missed a lot, but <laughs> I knew enough to know I didn't know a goddamn thing. 
And when you don't know anything and you accept that, you can find the guy and he can help you. I don't know. And that's, there's law school in a nutshell. That's it? It that's is. That's awesome. We just save people like it's so save much. Save money. Hire a lawyer. That's if you, law school. <laughs> if you get an attorney and he comes in with all the answers, it's kind of like having a preacher with all the answers. Yeah. You might want to keep looking. That's <laughs> not a good idea. It's never good. What's the what's the state of American craftsmanship these days? I mean, you get around to shows and I sure. mean high level stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, how is it? Is America building again? I, well, so that's 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 a multi part question. I think, Brad. I, yeah. I, first of all, I think the level of craftsmanship is extremely high. There is a lot of stuff going on now that is just mind blowing, and the way a lot of people that are coming from different fields, like I. I, I know mostly of course about the woodworking stuff but people will bring stuff from metalworking they'll bring stuff from engineering they'll bring stuff from you know even tech into the woodworking space and the things that they can do to make their shops more efficient to make using the materials more efficient and more uh, user-friendly I mean there's just amazing stuff going on um, the wood it all comes back to the wood and the amazing materials but the way people are sort of making an amalgam out of things where they're combining um, metals and woods and different areas of craftsmanship whereas maybe in the past before we weren't so connected societally and with other people you know you might have had you had your woodworking guild and you had your metalworking guild and never the twain shall meet now I think you know, you, you, you've got your eyes open to so many different design possibilities and so many influences and so many ways of working with materials. I think I, I would be surprised if there was a, an era in human history where there was more ideas out there and more things to pull from just to be able to be inspired. So I think the level of craftsmanship is very high. So I think if, if you're out there and you're looking to have you know your, your boots custom made or whatever and you meet the guy and you know the guy and you see he's still wearing the same boots he made 15 years ago, that, that's your guy, right? So craftsmanship level is very high, it's very available. Um, there is some stuff that's not so great out there but that looks great and that can still push the design envelope. You know, you can have somebody cut yeah. stuff out. I um, bet one of your dining room tables probably doesn't even hit its stride to a third or fourth generation. I think they look better. I think they look better and better the more you use them. And right? I do have clients who treat them as a museum piece. And hey, man, it's yours. You treat it however you want, right? And that's a respect. But I love it when I go into a place and I just see one that's just been used hard. You know? Right? I've got these clients in, uh, in Oklahoma, and they have nine children. And their children are young. And they just decided they were going to spend the money and because they eat three meals a day around this table. And they're going to spend the money and they were going to get an epic table. And then when they were dead, their kids are going to fight over it. And I, you see that table and photographs and stuff, and it is being used. And that is the most alive piece of furniture you're ever going to see in your life. Isn't that magnificent? It's great. It's great. It's great. And you think like three, four generations down the line... Yeah, I mean, really, we're yeah. they've thrown dirt over us. Yeah, and someone's still talking. Still be around, and someone's still talking about a Dave Stein table. Yeah, it's great having you on, man. Hey, great I can talk to story. you all day, pal. Same way, <laughs> same way, buddy. Same way. Let me know if I can ever come back. I, this was very, very enjoyable, and I, I tell you what, man, I appreciate a lot of your questions. It made me think of some things in different ways that I've even thought about it. This is very fun for me, very mind expanding. With all due respect to Mr. Yates, the esteemed poet. We believe the center will hold. 
It is here in the center of America where we find a mindset, ethos, and culture native to the heartland. And it is from here that we scan no coast to no coast for the originals we feature in every show.